from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. From the African People's Socialist Party to the organization from Maryland to Palestine, people all over the earth are fighting for human rights. We know that if this was any European country who was facing genocide and settler colonialism, there would be no question whether they have the right to resist or not. And we have seen this with Ukraine. We have seen the world's ability to support resistance but I guess that's only when it falls in line with their white supremacy. So we know that Palestinians do not receive the same energy, do not receive the same support. And among all the religious, cultural, and social observances during April, there is Earth Day, dedicated to our common home. And this home crisis cannot be ignored any longer. When the disaster capitalism is in play, is that they are bringing pallets of bottled water. Like you're gonna use cases of bottled water to fill your bathtub. That is to maximize the profit margin. That is the crisis we're dealing with right now. All this and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, four members of the African People's Socialist Party and three Russian nationals are indicted and charged by the U.S. Department of Justice with, quote, conspiring to covertly sow discord in U.S. society, spread Russian propaganda and interfere illegally in U.S. elections, end quote. The indictments and charges were anticipated by the party after last year's violent military style attack on their offices and on the St. Louis home of the party's chairman, Omali Eshetela who we have interviewed on this show. The party, based in St. Petersburg, Florida and St. Louis, issued no statement after the announced charges, but Eschatella, an 81-year-old veteran of the civil rights and black power movements, said during remarks at the March 18th March on Washington in front of the White House that the government's attack on the party is racist and violates members' First Amendment rights to condemn U.S. state violence at home and around the world. They declared that despite the fact that I have been involved in fighting this system for most of the 81 years that I have been alive, despite the fact that I have opposed every predatory war that the United States, which, by the way, is the strategic enemy of all of humanity, despite the fact that I have always done that, that they have declared that black people are so stupid that it takes Russians to tell us that we are oppressed. I have never known a moment of black freedom for my entire life. I have never read of a moment since the beginning of a colonial mode of production where black people have been free. And yet they're saying that we are working, we are agents of some foreign power. Because we say black people must be free. Because we say Africa must be free. Because we say African people everywhere must be free. And we are here today to tell them that they don't have enough flashbang grenades in their arsenals to stop this struggle of black people and the oppressed peoples of the world to win our freedom. 
The Black Alliance for Peace was one of several organizations issuing solidarity statements condemning the indictments. The alliance said, quote, the APSP and its members have the right, as all U.S. citizens do, to freely criticize U.S. domestic and foreign policy, not since the Palmer raids of the early 20th century, nor since the indictment of W.E.B. Du Bois in 1951, or the confiscation of Paul Robeson's U.S. passport during the anti-communist McCarthyist era, has there been such a hysterical response to African people asserting their rights and freedom of speech in the United States, end quote. These indictments of members of the Uhuru movement occurred the same week when the family of a 35-year-old black man, LaShawn Thompson, agreed to release photos of his corpse after he was apparently eaten alive by bedbugs and other insects inside a Fulton County, Georgia jail cell. This is the same week when an 84-year-old man, Andrew Lester, was arraigned in Kansas City on felony assault charges in the shooting of a 16-year-old Ralph Yarl, who mistakenly knocked on Lester's door while attempting to pick up his twin younger brothers from a playdate in Kansas City. Lee Merritt, attorney for Yarl's family, told ABC News that black children are endangered when they are, quote unquote, adultified by narratives of black criminality. There's a long history in this country of our, our own prejudices, and I say our collectively as a nation, where we've criminalized blackness for many, many years, and we are just starting to deal with the reality of the cultural impact of systemic racism uh, in terms of what we perceive uh, when we look at black people. And then certainly, yet yeah, black youth are tended to be made into uh, men. This boy is 5'8", 140 pounds. He is unimposing. Most would describe him as petite. But when Mr. Lester saw him, he said that he was scared to death because of his size. In a vindication for activists in Georgia, an autopsy suppressed for three months but finally released on Wednesday proves what activists have been saying all along, that Atlanta forest defender Manuel Esteban Paez Tehran, commonly known as Tortuguita, had no gunpowder residue on his hands, and this fact refutes the claim by police that Tehran fired at them first. Tehran was killed January 18th during a raid on an encampment in the Walani Forest. They were part of a collective that occupied the suburban Atlanta Forest in a bid to prevent the construction of a $90 million, 85-acre police and fire training facility popularly known as Cop City. And on Wednesday, the Supreme Court cleared the way for Rodney Reed to use DNA evidence to prove his innocence. Reed was convicted of the 1996 rape and murder of Stacy Stites, who was strangled to death with her own belt in Bastrop County, Texas. Mr. Reed, who was black, initially denied knowing Ms. Stites, who was white, but later admitted that they had been romantically involved. He said another man, perhaps Ms. Stites' fiancé, a cop, had committed the murder. More information is at freerodneyreed.com. And in culture and media, while most headlines have focused on the $787 million that Fox News must pay in a settlement for spreading lies about the 2020 election, UK broadcaster and human rights activist Craig Murray says that the handling of the story of Pentagon leaks is actually the current disgrace of the media. In an essay reposted on Consortium News, Murray reminds us that 10 years ago, WikiLeaks helped Edward Snowden to escape and publish his revelations about U.S. state crimes. 
in The Intercept, The Guardian, The New York Times, and other publications. In 2023, however, The New York Times and The Washington Post did not help accuse whistleblower Jack Teixeira escape or help him publish or tell people about his motives, but instead these publications helped the state arrest him. Murray said, quote, neither the alleged journalists of the New York Times, Washington Post, nor Bellingcat did the most basic things a real journalist would do. They did not contact Tashira, speak to him or ask him to explain his motivation and look through the other secret material to which he had access to get Tashira's view on its meaning and implications and to publish what in it was in the public interest. Instead, they simply shopped him to the FBI and closed down the remaining documents. He added, I am not at all surprised by Bellingcat, which is plainly a spook organization. I hope this enables more people to see through them. But the behavior of the New York Times and Washington Post is truly shocking. They now see their mission as to serve the security state, not public knowledge, end quote. Friday, April 21st is the final day of the Muslim holy holiday of Ramadan, during which many Muslims have taken to the streets to protest the attacks by Israeli forces on Palestinians praying at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem, the third holiest site in all of Islam. After headlines, we'll have more of their voices from a rally on the National Mall. And later in the show, some of my conversation with Kamon Freeman and Zane Elamine, both authors and activists participating with me in an event for Earth Day. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. University and the University of Maryland. 
Zubair, the sacred mosque at Aqsa was invaded by the Israeli occupation forces. In these attacks, the IOF targeted youth worshippers present by beating them brutally and detaining hundreds after. These acts are not new to the occupation. They know that the youth are at the forefront of our resistance here and in Palestine. And because of this, the youth and student organizers are one of the most targeted groups amongst those in support of Palestine. Israel continues to savagely repress Palestinian youth and student mobilization, clearly seen in the current age restriction in place for the worshippers at Al-Aqsa. Men under the age of 50 and under the age of 12, or over the age of 12, are currently not allowed to enter Al-Aqsa Mosque or pray there, a tactic that is regularly used by the occupation to prevent youth from defending the mosque. We as students understand the revolutionary power of education. The Zionist entity understands this as well. There's a reason why they imprison and torture our youth. There's a reason why they bomb and bulldoze our schools. There's a reason why they violently attack our students. Instead of being allowed to live their lives freely, the youth of Palestine are forced to spend their time resisting the occupation, time that can be spent used to pursue an education or working towards their futures. Zionist actors have similarly attempted to suppress youth through their universities and their institutions, through their surveillance, their threats, their blatant attempts to silence us, we have resisted in defiance of their intimidation tactics. We have faced personally targeted smear campaigns, exposure of our identities, danger to personal and collective safety, and threats to our academic and legal rights at the hands of these Zionist institutions. These attempts are all based on false, unfounded accusations that are aimed to silence us. But we will not back down in the face of institutional power. They attack us because they know that we represent a powerful and legitimate threat to the Zionist lobby. They attack us because they know that the youth movement, the student movement for Palestine is stronger than ever before. We, Students for Justice in Palestine, stand proudly with the youth and the students of Palestine in their bold efforts to resist the Zionist forces. We as students demand the right of every Palestinian to enjoy a life of freedom, a life of youth, a life of joy. We are all youth. We are all students. And we are all part of the resistance. Free, free Palestine! Bind DC and anti-imperialist Filipino org. Shout out. Let's go. <laughs> but I'm also 
here representing the International League of People's Struggles, or IOPS, an alliance of anti-imperialist and democratic movements around the world. But I want to ask y'all something. Are y'all not angry at what's happening in Palestine? Yeah! Are y'all ready to fight for justice and defeat Zionism? Yeah! All right, then I'm in the right spot. <laughs> because when the armed forces of the Philippines get a shipment of weapons from the U.S., the war profiteers make a buck. When a new president in the U.S. stands up and it gets stuffed with majority black and brown working class people, the war profiteers make a buck. And when the U.S. arms Israel with bombs and shells and guns, the war profiteer makes a buck. We're standing right now in the epicenter of the war profiteering industry. Within a 50-mile radius, we are surrounded by the headquarters of the biggest war profiteers in the world. We're talking Northrop Grumman. Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Boeing. Yeah. Raytheon. Yeah. General Dynamics. Yeah. We're standing right now in the country with the largest prison population in the world. Yeah. A country that uses prison like labor camps for the poor. Yeah. And imprisons people like Mumia Abu Jamal and Leonard Peltier for standing up for black and indigenous liberation. And we're standing right now in the beating heart of the U.S. empire, the belly of the beast, surrounded by politicians who sanction the construction of military bases abroad that house U.S. soldiers that kill our people, like Filipina trans woman Jennifer Laude. The same politicians that sanctioned the sale of bullets to the Filipino Marcos regime to kill the Nubatan Five in the Philippines. Yeah. And to Zionist forces that killed Shireen Abu Akleh in Palestine. Yeah. The world is on fire. You may feel helpless among all this death and destruction with literally trillions of dollars sent to line the pockets of war and prison profiteers, police and politicians, all while food stamps and education budgets are being slashed. Healthcare and housing costs skyrocket, and honestly, I could barely pay rent in the city. And eggs are too damn expensive. So I commit it is daunting. But it's not all doom and gloom, for when we remember that Zionism and the Filipino Marcus regime are part of one larger common enemy, the U.S. imperialist ruling class. It is our duty to continue the struggle, and as Tony K. Bombara said, it is our duty to make the revolution irresistible. Our revolution is interconnected because your struggle is my struggle and my struggle is yours. And our struggles, while many, are all one larger international one, the struggle of the people, and the people will win. From Palestine to the Philippines, Stop the U.S. war machine! From Palestine to the Philippines, stop the U.S. war machine! From Palestine to the Philippines, stop the U.S. war machine! Final speaker today is an organizer from Maryland to Palestine. I want to hear the loudest round of applause!
I want you all to repeat after me. Palestinian resistance. Palestinian resistance. Should not only be justified. Should not only be justified. But expected. But expected. This phrase is very important because Palestinian resistance is criminalized and addressed by mass media as terrorism. But we know that if this was any European country who was facing genocide and settler colonialism, there would be no question whether they have the right to resist or not. And we have seen this with Ukraine. We have seen the world's ability to support resistance, but I guess that's only when it falls in line with their white supremacy. So we know that Palestinians do not receive the same energy, do not receive the same support, which means it is especially important for us to not only advocate for the Palestinian right to exist, but to resist. Because if not, we're not advocating, but normalizing ethnic cleansing. And Palestinian resistance comes in many forms. It comes in a child throwing pebbles at a tank. It comes in Palestinian youth burning tires so that the smoke can block the vision of the occupier when they aim their rifles at us. It comes in Palestinian women smuggling sperm from prisons so that they can reproduce so that we are not erased. It comes in blocking the gates of Al-Aqsa with our bodies when they try to invade. This is what Palestinian resistance is. And Palestinians have the right to resist on their indigenous land by any means necessary, in any way that they see fit. And not only when they're unarmed, not only when they're peacefully worshiping, but at all times. This language is very harmful because it suggests that Palestinians must be unarmed to be justified in their resistance. But the second that the British stepped foot on our land was the second that we were justified in our resistance. The second that Theodore Herzl created Zionism was the second that we were justified in our resistance. And we have been resisting since before the establishment of this Zionist regime. And we will continue to resist until freedom and until return. People are dying. We don't have time for feeble advocacy. We need to be flooding these streets like we were during the Unity Intifada just a few years ago. We need to be flooding our social media with posts about Palestine, even when it's not trending. The occupier receives no consequence. We create the consequences. We hold our governments accountable. We continue to fight until liberation. We must get rid of this narrative that there's nothing that we can do for the Palestinian people. Because honestly, I'm sick of it. I'm really sick of it. It's an excuse at this point. There is so much that we can do for the Palestinian people, especially here in America. We must advocate for them in ways that they cannot advocate for themselves under a military occupation. And one of those ways is organizing what we're doing right now. So I ask you to do one thing when you leave. Find an organization that fights for Palestinian freedom. Find an organization that uplifts the resistance, that supports the resistance, and join them. Follow them. Go to their events. Become a member. Become a leader. Become an organizer at the forefront of this movement. Join Mary's to Palestine. If you haven't heard of us, we are a grassroots organization, and we're
Palestinian life, but we are made up of allies and comrades as well, because every single human being has a role in this movement. It is not just a war on Palestinians, but a war on humanity.
Those were voices from an April 8th, 2023 Hands Off Al-Aqsa rally on the National Mall. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Iverm. And it's special, I think, to have an event on Earth Day, acknowledging Earth Day, acknowledging our common home, as I like to call it, our planet, and also bringing in the issues of social justice, the environment, the climate, how we as humans are interacting with our climate, and 
bring in the art and the artists who will be joining us that day and also to join in other issues related to social justice because it all goes back to the land and how we as humans are living on it. All right. So I am very pleased to be joined by some of the artists who will be with us. Uh, Kamon Freeman, he is, I think so many listeners know him as one of the co-founders of We Act Radio, artist and activist in the community, someone who's been, who is a writer, poet. I've also seen him as a playwright. And his latest project is Nineveh. And it's a novel he'll tell us all about uh, related to water on our planet. I'm also joined by Zane Elamine, poet, author. His most recent book is, Is This How You Eat a Watermelon? And that title is very striking and he'll tell us about it. But it includes several short stories about uh, Lebanon and Lebanese people, Arab people, uh, not only there, but uh, throughout the diaspora. And it's another way of talking about the land. As you know, we always uh, report about the plight of the Palestinian people and what is happening in the Middle East connected to oil and the whole geopolitical environment that we're living in. And I'm also joined by Michelle Roberts. She is a national coordinator for the Environmental Justice Health Alliance, someone who I speak to regularly on on the ground. And she is a mover and shaker nationally around environmental justice issues. And she can kind of help us ground this conversation in some of the current events that are happening. So I want to thank everyone. So why don't I start with you, Kamon, because your book, Nineveh, and I'm so like excited about this project because you know the, you've gone from like John Brown a couple of years ago to now dealing with this issue of water that is so key to us because we can't live without water. You know, we may be able to survive several days without food or our favorite snacks or whatever we're having, but we can't survive without water. So tell us about your book, Nineveh. Yes. I'm so honored to be with you here today, and I'm actually grateful that you opened with uh, there's so much oil in the ground, because I think we have really ignored the fact that it's a finite resource, and that that is why it's a conflict resource. Wars have been fought over, invasions, and at some point, this will run out. And so my book, Nineveh, uh, A Conflict Over Water, is a new conflict resource. And the website is NinevehNovel.com. That's N-I-N-E-B-E-H Novel.com. It's, it's painting a picture of an oil-depleted society. So what happens when that is gone? And now they have to find new things to own and control. And Kamala Harris, our own vice president, said herself in a press conference just a few mo- uh, months ago that the next war would be fought over oil, uh, excuse me, fought over water. And they went on to the next question, like they didn't hear what she said. She said the next war would be fought over water. And no one had a follow-up question. It was like they went on to the next issue. And so we need to pay attention to this. You know, my grandmother said that when I was a child that it was going to um, charge for water one day. And I said, Grandma, water's free. You crazy. And now we're paying more for water than we are for gas. If you buy individual bottles of water, you have now paid more for water than gas today. And so we need to realize this. 
that has been weaponized. And we don't have to look around the world at the fact that 25,000 people die in Africa, Asia, Latin America simply because they don't have access to water or that uh, uh, apartheid uh, Israel controls all of Palestine's uh, water. When the disaster capitalism is in play is that they are bringing pallets of bottled water, not a water tank for people to replenish their, their containers and go home with that, but individual pallets of bottled water. Like you're going to use uh, cases of bottled water to make it, to fill your bathtub. That is to maximize the profit margin. That is the crisis we're dealing with right now. And people don't really take a time to look at a map. Uh, that's why I love that you have Gerald Horn on so much, a geopolitical scientist, because if you look at a map, you would see that Flint, Michigan is right next to the greatest body of fresh water in North America, the Great Lakes. So how can you possibly have dirty water in Flint with us, unless there's crimes being committed? Um, and then we don't even mention the fact that uh, Nestle, a private company that we know for chocolate, a Swiss company that we know for chocolate, but their number one moneymaker is water. And they pay the state of Michigan a measly $200 a year so they could pump over a million gallons of water a day out of the Great Lakes and sell it. So my book is basically building upon this crisis, setting the future in an uh, oil-depleted society where water has now been priced beyond affordability of the masses, forced them to collect rainwater, which is actually illegal in certain states in this country today. So, and, and I'm happy to say that I have a, a woman protagonist because our white supremacy is based upon patriarchy. So we have to have a matriarch system, the motherland, the mother earth, mother nature, so forth. And uh, I tell a captivating story, a uh, cautionary tale, and I hope people will, uh, will pick it up and we hope to be able to turn it into a film to continue to bring attention to this issue. That is so amazing. You're talking about so many issues that are like near and dear to my heart. I don't know where to start. And... One of the issues is how fracking is destroying our fresh water. So in order to get this other scarce commodity, oil, methane gas, which we, we need to be weaned away from as, as human beings and as our civilization needs to be weaned from, they're trying to get this other item, you know, this other element, and then in the process, destroying fresh water. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of fresh water that is uh, contaminated uh, with toxic chemicals for fracking. And this fracking has only increased as this country tries to uh, become even a bigger exporter of oil and then liquefy natural gas after we've managed to uh, convince our uh, after the U.S. has managed to convince its allies in Europe to disconnect from uh, Russian oil and gas. So it's a, it's a total mess in terms of the interconnectedness between what you're talking about, our need for fresh water, and it being polluted and contaminated all the time. So uh, the other thing that your conversation reminded me of uh, just leads me to Zane, uh, because Zane, I wanted you to talk about uh, your book, uh, Is This How You Eat a Watermelon? But uh, before that, I just wanted to ask you to talk about the environment in the Middle East, because we know that during the Iraq War, that this country, the United States, uh, polluted the country with depleted uranium, that uh, there were these burn pits that are continuing to impact 
veterans who came home from the Iraq war and these burn pits where everything was thrown into, you know, even the whole cars, right? And uh, soldiers coming home to this country were are still impacted. Uh, there was just legislation passed so that these people can receive treatment. But you have whole populations in Iraq that aren't receiving treatment, that aren't receiving any compensation for the environmental degradation and destruction that this country left there, in addition to the the other types of of pollution that we're the uh, degradation that we're talking about i'm thinking about the the pulling up of olive trees in palestine just the the way that the zionist colony has degraded the environment in palestine so that it can try to erase the existence and reality of palestinian people there thank you esther and thank you kamon for addressing such an a vital uh, subject, especially for uh, the Middle East and Africa that are going to be most impacted by droughts and the first to be impacted. Uh, and that we're already seeing that result. And uh, uh, the, the the narrative that we're given leaves out that part when, when, when it comes to talking about uh, uh, civil wars and uh, regional conflicts in the Middle East. To give you an example, one of the most glaring examples is Syria. The Syrian conflict. We know, uh, uh, you know, the when it's reported on in the West, uh, you only hear that some Syrians revolted and rose up during the Arab, inspired by the Arab Spring. And there was attempts by Western governments for regime change and the government, the Syrian government confronted those uh, protesters violently. And that's how the whole conflict started. What it leaves out is the five years preceding that there was a drought in uh, uh, this huge agricultural area in Syria. And the Syrians, uh, the Syrians living in that region uh, lost like 80% of their cattle and sheep and so on, and lost a lot of their agricultural products that were they were exporting even overseas. There was so much of it that they had to move to an urban area. And in that urban area, they weren't given the services that they needed, meaning the government did not shore up the infrastructure to accommodate all of them. And that's when the protests start. But we never hear that part. Uh, and because it's a cautionary tale, as as Kimon mentioned, this is a cautionary tale uh, that uh, uh, many political conflicts uh, around the Middle East and, and, and Africa are going to start because of climate change, because of lack of water, because of drought, and uh, which results in lack of resources and people fighting for scraps. So that's my take on that on that issue. Also, Kimon and you mentioned also the fact that, for example, Palestinians apartheid and uh, you know the Israeli apartheid doesn't just limit everything as you mentioned uh, like they control everything but they also divert water from uh, Palestinian territories and also from my uh, from South Lebanon uh, we have this Leitani River that comes through it and they've actually been uh, you know they were uh, uh, diverting water from there. That's why if you take a, 
an aerial photograph of the occupied territories, you'll see like Gaza would show up as this dark space because of the density of the population. And then the, uh, what, what's referred to as Israel proper, where the settlers live and such, you will see these little blue uh, dots all over. Those blue dots are swimming pools. And not only are they, uh, uh, they have uh, most control, most of the drinking water, the potable water, but also they're using it for luxurious things like swimming pools in an area uh, where that's not really sustainable. Uh, so that's uh, that's my angle on on the water issue, and I'm so happy Kimon is addressing this. Yes, and thanks for enriching us in terms of widening that conversation about the Middle East, because you reminded me that the U.S. is actually still occupying one third of Syria. That or at least one third of Syria is still being occupied either by the U.S., uh, Turkey, or other entities. And there are increased and credible reports that, that we are stealing the oil from Syria and we are occupying the most fertile ground where they grow their wheat. And so this occupation is not only uh, adding to like the use of fossil fuels, uh, but it's impoverishing Syria which cannot gain access to the, the use of its own oil fields and also gain access to the wheat. And the most recent disturbing thing I report I heard was that not only are we blocking access to the wheat, this vital, you know, substance or food for people there, but it's being, the land is being poisoned so that it cannot even you know, be used again for generations or if ever. Michelle, I wanted to go to you next because there is so much happening that is very confusing sometimes in terms of looking at what this country is doing around the environment. You and I had a tremendous discussion around President Biden signing these initiatives for environmental justice that benefit a lot out of communities so that communities can apply for funds to for cleanup, for air monitoring, for all types of things that uh, organizations have been calling out for for years, if not decades. But then, on the other hand, we have him approving the Willow Project, this vast, you know, oil and gas uh, project in Alaska, and, you know, approving more offshore drilling. So, you know, give us your overview right now in terms of where the United States is in terms of, you know, the legacy of, you know, pollution here and, you know, what's happening going forward. Yeah, thank you, Esther. And this is like one of those mercy, mercy me moments, right? It continues to be a conundrum for our communities. And as I listen to the music that was played before me and to the two, our two brothers, we are still in real deep, dire straits in a lot of different ways. Now, the good news, and some would say, how do you find the good news in this? Because you're right, this Willow Project is totally bad, and it's not right. 
But the good news is, is that you have communities and community leaders who have come together and actually have been pushing in this country for now well over, unfortunately, 40 years with under the banner of environmental racism, right? And have finally gotten to the moment where they have moved a presidential leadership, if you will, and a congressional leadership to finally both acknowledge the fact that there has been a legacy of harm. Now, 40, 50 years is way too long. And actually, we all know that it's been longer than that. But the point remains is that we were able to finally get to this moment of now understanding we are still in a complex conundrum in this political economy and this fascist uh, world that we're in, if you will. So yeah, I'll stop there for the moment. But just to say, this is where we are right now. We still have people in this country who don't have access to clean water. However, there are investments that are excuse me, actually coming through some of these particular administrative uh, fixes and proposals that will be providing for the access to water. So for myself and anybody listening who wants to, you know, make a difference, who wants to be able to be, be an activist, you know, with by themselves or with others in concert with others, with organizations, you know, what can people do? People want to feel like on Earth Day and during this month when we stop to think about our common home, that we can do something and that it's not all lost and that we can move these mountains that seem so, so heavy. You know, when you talk about corporations and corporate power and just the way that the so-called marketplace is ruling over our very existence. Absolutely, Esther. Many people are now beginning to, in their different spaces and places, begin the old school organizing and educating themselves on what their communities look like. What would they like to see for their communities? Um, How do they move their communities to remedy and redress, given the fact that Okay, President Biden, okay, congressional leaders, you say you're standing for environmental justice. How is it that you're really going to work with us to move the narrative in our local political economies so that we do provide that, quote, clean economy that we, the people, are speaking to, right? So that at the end of the day that we, the people, will see in Lebanon, access to clean water and not that of the lack of access to water and that of displacement from their communities. All of this is part and parcel, and it is all inextricably linked to all of our existence in our spaces and places. I continue to think about the community of Mossville, Louisiana, who we've had on several times, right? And as we're talking about how it is center environmental justice, these folks still don't have access to clean potable water. And in addition to that, in their seeking to perhaps relocate and be made whole, what does that look like for them to be made whole? The good news is, again, we have pushed in spaces 
such as our United States Congress and the administration to be able to have those hardcore discussions and bring them out into these communities to be able to leverage what it is they're saying they want to do with us to make sure that they do what they need to do for us. It's not an easy fix, we know by far. But again, the good, the very good news of all of this is that we have heard the, quote, political will. Now we, the people, must mobilize and push that political will to be about what their words say they are. I'm very concerned about uh, young people, the, you know, the, the generation in high school and college right now, what kind of world that they are going to be able to live in. And the fact that corporate media almost ignores it instead of really focusing on it as an existential crisis is a big part of the problem. And so uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to Kamon uh, and just talk to you as a, not just a writer, but as the you know, operator of a media organization, a news organization, about what you've noticed in terms of how this issue that you care so much about, water, is treated. Well, basically, in a society that is, you know, controlled by bankers, we're always going to be in debt. Society that profits off war, you know, we're never going to know peace. And as long as those elements control the media, we'll never know the truth. And that's where we are. Fox News has just been sued for lying. I don't know, countless hundreds of millions of dollars defamation suit, which is small change to them. But nevertheless, they're the largest media outlet in America. I repeat, Fox News is the largest media outlet in America. So there, uh, I think there lies the problem and answers a, a lot of the uh, questions that we have. But uh, we should not, uh, all is not lost. Uh, one of the action agendas I'm about to announce and a lot of other people around the country are, are pursuing this as well, is the banning of plastic bottles. When we talk about a water issue, it, it is part of uh, Earth Day because uh, water is the most essential element on Earth. So it's been predicted that by the year 2050, let me say this slowly, it has been predicted by the year 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. So that is only and solely because of capitalism profit margins. It's cheaper for them to, to sell their products using a toxic product like plastic, knowing the, the effects it has on the environment, and they don't care. So we have to first start there. We need to minimize our purchasing of plastic bottled water. We need to create a system where we have refillable, uh, reusable containers and we carry our own water. Uh, we're going to pitch, uh, pitch uh, petition the city and this banning. Uh, to create refillable centers. Because when I said that my grandmother said that it was going to be selling water one day, and I told that lady she was crazy, she was basically saying that the American apartheid system was really, you know, symbolized by the color-only, white-only water fountains. And when you saw those signs come down, she said they was going to make us pay for that. So when the signs came down for those water fountains, you simultaneously saw an eroded of public confidence in the, uh, in the public water supply and the disappearance of those water fountains and the introduction of a commodified product selling water. Hmm. And that is profit sharing. 
you know, look at the timeline. And that is exactly what we have um, resulted in. And so one of the things that we have to do is we have to become conscientious consumers. Absolutely. And I, we are running out of time. So I want to once again, Again, thank uh, Kamon Freeman, Michelle Roberts, and Zane Elamine for joining me this this hour. Thank you so much. Peace, everybody. And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Averam. Our website and archive of all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Averum. Special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com at On The Ground Show. Our theme music for the show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix, and we also played Only So Much Oral in the Ground by Tower of Power and Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder. I'm Esther Averum. Until next time, take good care. And keep raising your voice. Peace. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show. If you have not already subscribed at Patreon, you can do so for as little as $3 a month or all at once at $33 for the whole year. And I know that the show is worth more than that to you. If you like the show, if you love the show, if you regularly check it out, if you rely on it, if, you know, it's a part of your soundtrack in any kind of way, please support. Go to patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And I would very much appreciate your support. And it would mean so much to us at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash on the ground show. Or you can go to the show website, which you might go to anyway, if you reach the blog that way and you click on the donate now button or the support donate button and you can see all ways to give.